Today, I want to talk about true saving faith. I want to talk about faith that is genuine. Faith that gives us the hope and the assurance of life to the full, both now and forever. We turn our attention this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. As we work our way through God's story, we find ourselves in the last week of Jesus' ministry on earth. And Jesus teaches a series of parables known as the parables of the kingdom of heaven. And the parable that we find ourselves in this morning in the first 13 verses is known as the parable of the ten virgins. Now I have to be honest, as I was preparing this week, I was tempted to switch my text. How in the world could this speak to us today with all of the problems in our life and in our world? But as I began to dig into this parable, reminded that his God's word is living and active, timeless, and powerful and true, it is this obscure parable that teaches us and reminds us exactly what we need to be reminded of, that the kingdom of heaven is counterintuitive than the kingdom of this world, that the ways of God are not the ways of man. And Jesus will minister to you this morning through the power of the word and through the power of the Holy Spirit by reminding us of the peculiar counterintuitive nature of the kingdom of heaven. The parable of the ten virgins is also referred to as the parable of the ten maidens. The word virgin and maiden are interchangeable in the Greek. The title virgin and maiden was given to a woman before she was married. This is the same title given to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Many people think that this parable of the ten virgins or the ten maidens is the story of ten brides. It's not. It's the story of ten bridesmaids, the maiden to the bride. It's the story of ten maidens, ten bridesmaids. Some are prepared for the wedding feast, and some are not prepared. So the bridegroom is coming, and the question is, will we be ready? Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. This is the very word of God. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. But the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. For our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. While they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered with some of the most sobering words, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. 
Jesus then responds, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And on this Lord's day, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Aren't you grateful we have the word of our Lord? So the question is this morning, are you wise or are you a fool? Jesus just cuts to the chase, doesn't he? And he says in this parable and other parables, you're either in one of two camps. You're either in the camp of the wise or you're in the camp of the foolish. Are you wise or are you foolish? You see, this parable is not addressed to people outside of the church. In fact, this is one parable that's addressed to people inside of the church. This parable is addressed to all of those people who think they're on their way to the party only to find out on the final day that Jesus never knew them. This is a warning and sobering indictment to those that think they're in, only to find themselves out. There is a wedding feast, a wedding party unlike you have ever experienced before, and the question is, are you on your way into that wedding feast? Or will the drawer be shut? This parable, to set the context, is rooted in ancient Jewish wedding culture and tradition. This wedding feast that Jesus is describing by way of parable, you would have a bridegroom betrothed to the bride, but then the bridegroom would go away, sometimes for two weeks, sometimes for two months, and he would go to prepare a home for his new family. The bride and the bridesmaids were to remain at their house, but to always be ready because you never knew when the bridegroom would arrive. And according to tradition and custom, the bridegroom would come in the middle of the night. That's what Jesus is describing here. And it was the responsibility of the bride and the bridesmaids to always be ready And the responsibility of the ten virgins or the ten maidens, the bridesmaids, were to light their lamps and to lead the bridal party in procession to the wedding feast. And here Jesus says, some of the maidens are ready and prepared and some are not. This is Jesus being as straightforward as possible He is the bridegroom, and we are the church to be on call, always to be ready. And Jesus tells us by way of this parable this morning, be watchful, for no one knows when the groom will come. He is the groom, and he is coming, and we better be ready. What can we learn about having true saving faith so that we are always ready for the coming of our Lord. What can we learn from this parable this morning briefly? The first is this, there are counterfeits. We learn in this parable that there are counterfeits. There are those that really don't belong to Jesus. They have all of the trimmings and the trappings of a follower of Jesus Christ. They have all of the trimmings and the trappings as a person that you would expect to be in, but they're really not. You see, here, everybody in the bridal party expects to go. There's eagerness and enthusiasm. They wake up. They're ready to go to the party. They think they're in. 
They even cry out, Lord, Lord, only for Jesus to say, I never knew you. What is this parable teaching us? You can have right doctrine. You can have the best theology. You can come to church every Sunday in your Sunday best and sing and go to Bible study. And it actually means nothing if you do not have true, genuine, saving faith. All 10 thought they were well on their way to the party. All 10 thought they were in, only to find out at the end that they weren't. Joseph Stalin, did you know he went to seminary? Do you know Joseph Stalin memorized the entire New Testament only to turn around and murder 30 million people? You can have everything on the exterior. You can, you can look the part, have all the right answers, but if Jesus Christ has not come into your life and radically transformed you and you do not have genuine saving faith, it doesn't mean a thing. The Apostle Peter will say something about this in his epistles. He will say to the church, make your calling and election sure. Not that you would live a life for constantly doubting your faith, but that you would constantly be examining your life and your walk and your witness and your testimony to be able to say, does the saving faith that I profess, is it evidenced in my life? You can profess faith, but never truly possess it. So how do we make our calling and election sure? Well, first we can ask God. The psalmist tells us to God, would you search me and would you know me? It means that we're humble enough to ask God, reveal yourself to me in my life. Reveal sin. Reveal blind spots. In fact, the fact that you would be even willing to ask God that question might be evidence that you truly do have saving faith. Ask your friend, ask a family member, ask your spouse. They'll be honest with you. Ask a pastor. Are you seeing the fruit in my life of the faith that I possess? We need to all take an honest look and make sure that we have the oil. Just because we profess does not mean we possess saving faith in Jesus Christ. But the second thing that we see here, not only are the counterfeits, but we see the true characteristics of saving faith. What does saving faith in Jesus Christ look like? I want to give you a few points of practical application. The first is this. True saving faith can't be transferred. Look what the five virgins say in verse 8. They scramble in the middle of the night and they're asking the other five, hey, if you have some leftover oil, if you have some extra oil, can you fill my lamp? And they say, no, it can't be transferred. It can't be shared. It's great that some of you come from a long legacy and history of Christians in your church. It's great that your grandparents know Jesus. It's great that your parents know Jesus. But if you don't know him, it doesn't mean a thing. It means every single one of you, I don't care how long and great and glorious your Christian heritage is, if you yourself individually have not confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it doesn't mean a thing. The oil cannot be transferred. Second characteristic is this. 
True saving faith is revealed in trial. Look what happens in verses 6, 7, and 8. As they're scrambling around, they're fine up until this point, right? They think they're well on their way to the wedding party until tragedy strikes. And what's their trial? They're scrambling at the 11th hour and it is too late. The bridegroom has returned and for the first time they are faced with a trial. They are faced with tragedy and it is through the tragedy and trial that true saving faith is revealed for five of them. And faith that was never there is revealed for the other five. You see, you can coast through this life and come to church and say all the right things, but it is when tragedy strikes, that is when the rubber meets the road. An unexpected death of a friend, of a parent, of a spouse. The unexpected death of a child. When the rubber meets the road and the heat is turned up. You see, I hear often people say during tragedy and trial, that's when I lost my faith. Listen, you didn't lose your faith. You never had the faith to begin with. It is during tragedy and trial that true saving faith, the solid rock of Jesus Christ, is revealed. Ken Wackus, longtime headmaster of Westminster Academy, headmaster emeritus, died several years ago of ALS. Never once heard him complain. And this is what Ken Wackus said before he died. He said, my vocation was first an educator to the glory of God. Now, I have the vocation of suffering for the glory of God. That is what it looks like to have true saving faith. Can't be transferred, revealed in trial. It's also a characteristic of true saving faith. There's a sense of urgency Verse verse 13 reveals to us the whole point of this parable. What does Jesus say? Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. You never know the hour. A characteristic of someone who has true saving faith, they are living with a sense of urgency, not knowing the day nor the time. I've seen and encountered plenty of people who have sat in my office going through a divorce saying, I guess I should have went to counseling, but now it's too late. I guess I should have dealt with some of the indwelling sin in my life, and now it's crippled me in my life. There is a sense of urgency where you are always on guard. You never know the time or the place so that you are never able to say in your life, it is too late. I've missed the boat, I've missed the mark, and now the door is closed. Maybe you are here this morning, and I want to address some in the room and maybe some online that are watching. Maybe you are at a point in your life, you are younger, and you are thinking that you have your entire life ahead of you, and it is the lie of the devil for you not to hurry. It is the lie of the devil for you to sit complacent and to say, I will address this later in life, but for now I have my whole life ahead of me. If you are a teenager, run to Jesus. Do not buy the lie of this world that you do not have to hurry and you do not have to delay. The fool says in their heart, there is no God. And says, therefore, I will eat, drink, and be merry. 
there is a sense of urgency for the child of God who truly professes saving faith. So we see the counterfeits, we see the characteristics, and then lastly, we see the preparation. The preparation of true saving faith, it's in verse 4. Very simply, it says that the wise, those who have true saving faith, do what? They fill their flask with oil. They are always prepared, not knowing the day or not knowing the hour. Their flasks are always full. It is the only difference between the wise and the foolish in this parable. Filled lamps to the brim, filled with oil. And so my question for you this morning, is your lamp overflowing with oil? Now you might ask me, what in the world is the oil? The oil that Jesus is speaking about here in this parable is the very grace of God. Listen what Charles Spurgeon says, the prince of preachers, a Baptist minister from the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon. Oh, how I wish he was a Presbyterian. You Baptists out there are blessed to have him as part of your own. But Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said the oil of gospel grace is pure and free from lees and dregs, and hence the light which is fed thereon is clear and bright. The oil that Jesus is referring to is nothing less than the pure gospel of uh, grace, gospel grace of Jesus Christ. And for some of you here this morning, you have lamps and it is filled with dirty oil of your performance. And the call to you this morning is to empty your lamps and fill it with the oil of Jesus' performance for you. The gospel grace of Jesus Christ given to you freely, purchased for you freely, extended to you for some of you for the first time this morning. You see, it is your lamp that is the light to this world. And it is only by the grace of God that can fuel that lamp to shine in the darkness of this world. And for some of you, your lamps are empty. And Jesus calls you this morning to fill that lamp with the only thing that can burn bright, the only way in which you can be considered wise, the only way in which that lamp can burn both now and for all of eternity is to fill it with the oil of the grace of Jesus Christ. And some of you say, but pastor, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to receive this grace. I'm not clean enough and pure enough. And I say exactly, you are well on your way to the wedding feast this morning because it is those and only those that say they are not good enough and they cannot deserve it nor earn it that Jesus says to you, you and you alone by faith alone can receive the grace of God that was purchased for you 2,000 years ago. You are well on your way to having your lamp filled, overflowing with the grace of Jesus Christ and experiencing utter transformation. That is what it means and that is what it looks like to be prepared and to be on your way to the wedding feast forevermore. My father passed away 13 years ago and my Dad's story is quite remarkable, and I won't get into the details of his life, but at the very end of his life, three months before he died, he committed his life to Jesus Christ. 
A truly remarkable story and testimony of God's grace transforming a sinner, the least likely person that would ever receive Jesus. We saw it manifest in his life. And I had the the privilege but the daunting challenge of preaching at his funeral. And let's just say his friends and colleagues lived a less than desirable life. And they're staring at me with this look in their faces as I'm describing this new man, as I'm describing the testimony of him accepting Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and they are looking at me absolutely perplexed. One of his friends, Len, came up to me afterwards and said, who in the world were you talking about? I said, Len, the guy you knew is long gone. The guy I was talking about, he lives on forever. It is the story of utter radical transformation only given to those that receive Jesus Christ freely through faith alone, embracing his perfect life and his death and his resurrection on their behalf. That is the promise. And for those that embrace Jesus Christ, maybe some here this morning for the first time, there is a feast and a party unlike you've ever experienced before. You see, the problem is most people think Christianity is this boring journey of belonging to a church with a bunch of strange people. But the story of Christianity couldn't be further from that description. It is the most exciting, exhilarating journey, the adventure of being a child of God, transformed by his grace. There is nothing like it. And we are all headed towards a party and a wedding feast unlike ever before. I want to ask you two questions this morning. If you, if you were to die tonight, do you know for certain that you would go to heaven. I feel a sense of urgency this morning to ask you that question. And if you were to stand before God and he was to ask you, why should I let you in? What would your answer be? If it is anything short, then I have a lamp that is overflowing with the grace of God. There is no hope. Would you run to Jesus I want you to be at the party. If you know Jesus this morning, then what are you waiting for? There are people in your life that need to know. There is, should be a sense of urgency in your life, a neighbor, a friend, a spouse, maybe even a child that needs to know today the good news of Jesus Christ. Not knowing the day nor the hour, what are we waiting for? A sense of urgency for those that believe. One of the enemy's greatest lies is that there is no need to rush. There is no need to worry. And Jesus says, watch, watch, for you neither know the hour nor the day that he will come. The extended grace of God to you, extended freely this morning. The door is open. 
But one day it will be shut. Run to Jesus now.